Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Later in the hour, we'll talk to the crew that's reintroducing city slickers to the Mississippi River. But first, whether it's that giant mess by the Brentwood Promenade or Gravois' many complicated intersections, we all have places in town we hate driving. Sometimes we go out of our way just to avoid them. In others, we grit our teeth and curse at our fellow drivers. Is there a better solution? Could we maybe even fix them? Joining me in studio to talk about the area's roadways is Scott Ogilvy, a transportation policy planner for the city of St. Louis. We're also joined today by Kia Wilson. She's a communications manager for Strong Towns, a nonprofit that is focused on thinking about new ways to approach our built environment. Which intersections in your community top your worst of the worst list? Do you have an idea for how traffic flow and road user safety could be improved? If you have a question or comment about this topic, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Scott Ogilvy and Kia Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Hi, Sarah. Thanks. So, Scott, you used to be an alderman, and now you're planning transportation policy for the city. So you've had a seat at the table. Big question for you. Is there anything you could do in either job to help alleviate all the road rage in this city? Um, Can we put Xanax in in the water supply? (laughs) I'd vote for that. I mean, I guess the the first thing I'd like is is probably more money because uh, we have a big road system uh, in the region, and I think uh, we are a little under resourced in terms of uh, taking care of it and maintaining it and improving it. Uh, so that's probably something that uh, everybody in elected office and in government in would say department. is I would, I would yeah. like a little more money to uh, work on the problem with. Um, and, but I would also, I mean, to get a little more serious. Uh, we could use a little bit of a cultural shift in this region uh, that uh, drivers, I think, pay more attention to the responsibility of using a car and uh, the, the potential to injure themselves and other people while they're driving. Um, I know we like to sort of joke about you know, road rage and aggressive driving and things like that, but there are major concerns within the region. And uh, too many people are, are killed and injured by drivers, and we'd love to see everybody slow down. Kia Wilson, Strong Towns emphasizes getting out of the box. Obviously, getting St. Louis drivers to drive well would be getting out of the box. But are there projects outside of St. Louis that have worked that you'd point to and say, hey, maybe we should consider this year? I think that there are tens of thousands of projects that have worked that we are seeing both inside and outside of St. Louis. I want to just echo what Scott said, that the key to um, improving our intersections is actually, I would say, not just to alleviate road rage, but to make them safer for all users. And sometimes that is going to include making a slightly more naturally uncomfortable experience for drivers. The things that make drivers um, comfortable tend to be the ability to drive fast, to zone out, to be unimpeded by pesky little things like kids playing in the street, cyclists running, uh, riding down the road and things like that. And the key to alleviating the danger to all road users, including drivers themselves, is to, you know, we have this has a hashtag at Strong Towns, hashtag slow the cars. Use design to naturally induce people to sit up a little straighter, pay a little bit more attention, slow down because you don't perceive like you do on the highway that you can drive completely unimpeded at a high speed through a city neighborhood. And I think that's really um, the key to making St. Louis intersections safer. And it's also something that we can talk about lots of citizen-led ways to make it happen. 
So it's hard to argue with the idea that both of you guys have now brought up that our drivers here are not as careful as they should be and need to learn how to pay more attention. But at the same time, when we put out a call to our listeners today on social media, boy, did they have a lot of good examples of some really screwed up interchanges. And it's hard to blame all of these on just the drivers. Scott, are there things that we could do, relatively small things that don't cost zillions of dollars that could maybe fix a problematic intersection? Sure. So you can do inexpensive uh, retrofits and improvements in, um, you know, on neighborhood streets and on lower volume streets pretty easily. And we're always doing those things. I'd say uh, one recent example is we are now um, installing speed tables, uh, which are are long uh, sort of gentle speed bumps on many neighborhood streets within the city. We've only been doing that for a few years and we have almost 200 installed. Uh, those can make a big difference in terms of reducing the speed of drivers who are entering a neighborhood. Uh, you can't drive much faster than 20 miles an hour over them, which is really the speed you should be driving uh, on, on residential streets. So I think that helps. I think in terms of uh, bigger road infrastructure, though, things like um, bridges, things like highway interchanges, ramps, uh, when those things are built, they're really intended to last for 50 to 100 years. Uh, there are not necessarily um, inexpensive ways to to fix those things, and once they're in, uh, they're in for the foreseeable future. And so that's why I think, uh, you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of infrastructure that was designed and built during decades where all the focus was just on moving uh, people in cars, and there was very little focus on on everybody else. And we're still living with a lot of that infrastructure. We are, I think, changing it um, as those things uh, reach the end of their useful life. Uh, but that's a that's a slow evolution, um, and you can only do so many projects a year with uh, the available funding that you have. So, making good decisions on those things now is extremely important to I think building a better quality of life here as we move forward. Our phone lines are actually blowing up, which is awesome to see. Um, let's take a call here. Let's go to Elizabeth. Um, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining us today. What what did you want to talk to our guests about? Okay, so getting off I-64 onto 170, uh, like if you want to go to Forest Park Boulevard or something, it's it's horrendous. And I think whoever designed that and whoever approved it should be taken out and shot. I'm sorry. Oh, and, that's and so harsh, Elizabeth. <laughs> I know, but it's like it, I have driven in numerous, numerous, numerous cities in this country throughout my life. And it's like that has to be the most dangerous because you come in on that left-hand lane, and if you if you want to move over, you don't. You have to go like three or four exits up and then double back because the traffic on the in those two or three lanes on the right, they're coming in. They're just blowing in there, I guess, at 70 miles an hour. It's so dangerous. It's- Elizabeth, thank you so much for that call. Um, Scott, do you have any thoughts on who designed that intersection and should they be shot? I don't advocate, <laughs> even even engineers, I do not advocate shooting engineers. I'm glad even, you have a voice of nonviolence Even traffic here. engineers, yeah. Um, <laughs> serenity now is, is what I would say. Uh, I do think, um, I mean, that's an example of a recently, uh, of a fairly recent um, infrastructure investment. It's probably going to be like that for a long time. Um, and there are, uh, you know, those are, that's an example, I think, of the, the type of infrastructure uh, that Kia and I would like to see less focus on, which is, you know, things like flyover ramps and these huge intersections. Uh, I'll let Kia maybe talk about some of the 
the land use implications of building that type of infrastructure. Um, but when we concentrate traffic into these, uh, into sort of a limited number of routes, you can, you, you do get um, high volumes. You get, um, I think, frustrated drivers sometimes because they don't have any other uh, options on where to go if they have to use that area. And I think um, there are overall, uh, without really specifically addressing that point, overall there are, I think, better ways uh, system-wide to manage how people get where they need to go. Kia Wilson, I see you nodding as, as Scott Ogilvie talks here. You share those thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I just think that it is, to talk about the land use implications, we've touched very much on the frustration of auto-centric design, um, especially poor auto-centric design that makes us all a little bit angry as we use it, whether we're behind the wheel, um, in the case of a highway interchange, or whether we're walking down the street. One thing we focus on at Strong Towns is those um, intersections are also making our city less financially prosperous. There are serious economic implications of focusing all of our land use on the kind of transportation that only prompts investment that is going to be low returning for our cities. A big box store does not return nearly as much property tax as a identically sized plot of land with a bunch of mixed use residential and commercial buildings built in a traditional development pattern style in a tight area. So um, if you feel a little bit frustrated the next time you're going through that intersection, go ahead and get a little frustrated too for the community wealth that it's sapping of our neighborhoods. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got another caller, um, Eric, calling from U-City. Eric, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Yes. Uh, I was going to talk about one intersection, and then another one came to mind. Um, the, the section in the loop with the trolley tracks, my <laughs> wife had a bicycle accident there because of all of the non-biker-friendly tracks. I think that's a big issue there. Yeah, Scott, I know you're a big bicyclist, and when they put in the loop trolley, there was a lot of money that went into this supposedly alternative form of transportation. Now we find out that the tracks that they've put in can be downright dangerous to bicyclists. Uh, was this a good use of our taxpayer money? Well, the loop trolley project is a very interesting project because it was uh, primarily not managed by the city. It was managed by the loop trolley district, which is a taxing overlay district, um, you know, an, an effort led by Joe Edwards. Uh, and who who received a Tiger Grant? It is um, sorry, Tiger Grant. What's Tiger that? Grant? It's a federal transportation grant. Okay, so federal money available yeah. Yeah, during the Obama administration has a different name now. Um, it's an interesting project because it was driven, I think, by the the passion of uh, of one person to see. Um, I think that street transformed and and to see a new way to move around that corridor uh, with good access to adjacent land uses. Um, on all streetcar tracks where they're not running in a dedicated right-of-way, uh, there are some dangers particularly to uh, people riding bikes. So I've ridden a bike on that street many times since, since the trolley has been installed. If you're not um, a particularly experienced bike rider, I would recommend uh, taking an alternate route along Del Mar um, or just being very cautious uh, when you're near the tracks. And Eric, you said you had a, a second intersection that had sort of um, also gotten your yeah, goat. I was going to mention the uh, Big Bend and 40 intersection. There are four lanes that come northbound, and I've seen several accidents of, of people pulling onto 40 east from the southbound, thinking that somebody's turning right onto the highway. 
I thought that was a pretty dangerous one, too. Okay. Eric, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate that. Thank you. It sounds like a lot of the frustration there is with things that maybe just seem like poor design. People aren't saying, let's dramatically change this. Let's change the signage or let's have fewer lanes. Are there sometimes small tweaks that can end up making a huge difference? Kia Wilson? Well, when it comes to highway interchanges, the answer is, I don't know. Um, That's the thing that's really challenging. Um, When you ram two highways through the downtown of a major metro or one of the few cities in North America who's ever done that. I think where we can have much more impact is on the neighborhood street level. So at Strong Towns, we we coined the term Strode. I don't know if you've heard it before, but Strode is a combination of the terms street and road. A, a road is a highway, highway style designs designed to move cars. A street is designed for all kinds of users, whether they're on bike or on foot, and um, they're designed to interact with the neighborhood. A street is a platform for commu- for um, creating community wealth. A Strode is when you try to combine those two things into one and you get the worst of both worlds. So Jefferson, much of it is a strode. I live right by Jefferson and I have to cross five lanes of highway. The sections of Big Bend that empty out into the highway, those are strodes as well. Um, I would love to see us put a lot of those strodes on a diet. Um, the small tactical things that I would see us do are you, I want to give a, a nice shout out to Trailnet, our very excellent local um, bike and pedestrian coordinator. You can at very select intersections um, put up traffic calming props and you as a general citizen with no traffic calming experience whatsoever can install a planter box on a corner to like uh, shorten the distance between the one curb and another and make it a little bit easier for pedestrians to cross. That's just one example of the kind of interventions that are available to average citizens and that can incrementally over time demonstrate to the city that we have a need for change and there's a way to get it done. That's Kia Wilson. She's a communications manager for Strong Towns. We're also here today with Scott Ogilvie, a transportation policy planner for the city of St. Louis. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation with Scott Ogilvie, transportation policy planner for the city of St. Louis, and Kia Wilson of Strong Towns. We actually started a Twitter poll this morning. We asked our listeners which intersection tops their worst of the worst list. Now, obviously, this is not scientific, but here's where things stand. We have 178 votes so far. The intersection of Grand, Forest Park Avenue, and I-64 is in the lead. That's at 42%. The crossroads of Gravoy and literally any cross street garners 33%. Kings Highway and Arsenal, where drivers are notorious for making illegal left turns, actually only gets 5%. And 20% of respondents chose our fourth category, other. Uh, Kia Wilson, what gets your vote? Ooh, you can choose other. <laughs> I'm going to choose other today. I want to um, actually highlight something that not just makes me angry, but that I think there's room for very immediate change. I would nominate for consideration the intersection of Gravoy, Grand, and Chippewa, mm-hmm. one of our uh, five-way intersections. We have so many of yeah, those. Yeah, we got a bunch of those. Um, because that one's a really interesting example where you have a ton of pedestrian activity. You have a major grocery store. you got a Schnucks right there. We've got um, a major housing development directly to the east of of Grand that is certainly um, getting people crossing mid-block all the time. And we're expecting pedestrians to do something that, frankly, is not 
I, you and I probably wouldn't do, which is to walk almost a quarter of a mile out of the way and go to a crosswalk that isn't convenient for them. And guess what? You have people sprinting across that intersection at all time. The good news is we have ample space for, for instance, a pedestrian island, a little area where cars can't travel, where people can have a mid-block stop. And we can do that through tactical urbanism first to demonstrate the um, effectiveness with it. We can try a temporary, a, a midterm solution to see how it works and adjust our design, and then we can make it permanent. I think that those neighborhood intersections where there's a clear, enduring need are the best candidates for immediate intervention. We should be doing lots of small projects um, so that incrementally we can make our neighborhood better. Scott Ogilvie, what gets your vote for worst intersection? Well, I'm the the ones on Twitter, I'm glad those uh, in particular came up. Um, uh, Grand and Forest Park Parkway and I-64 is an area we know uh, can be dangerous, particularly for pedestrians. The city has uh, thoroughly investigated some major changes to that intersection, um, bringing Forest Park Parkway to grade at Grand, similar to uh, what we did last year at Kings Highway and Forest Park Parkway, where uh, the parkway used to also run underneath uh, Kings Highway, uh, and turning those into more conventional uh, four-way intersections. Um, I think that's a change that we will see happen probably in the next decade. Um, that bridge is not on our uh, top five of bridges that need to be replaced, so it's a little further down the list. Um, but I, I think we'll get there um, in our lifetimes at least, uh, which is good. And I think we can create uh, a much better experience there for uh, both drivers and pedestrians. I think Gravoy is also a very interesting case. Um, so MoDOT uh, repaved and restriped Gravoy, uh, was it 2017, I believe? Um, they did a they did a road diet there. They added bike lanes. This is kind of a, I would call it an interim or sort of half measure in terms of creating uh, a safer roadway. And gravel was wide, speeds were high, so the road diet, uh, excuse me, successfully reduced traffic speed. I think from average of 43 to 37 miles an hour, which shows that uh, road di- design can have an impact on these things. But to really make it, I think, a good experience, you have to further uh, slow down the speed of traffic. Um, we just completed a, a Great Streets planning effort uh, for uh, Gravoy and uh, Morgan Ford in the Bevo area, which suggested uh, some some much more substantial changes to Gravoy. And uh, I hope we get there kind of in the same time frame as, uh, as I was talking about uh, Forest Park Parkway and Grand, maybe a decade. So we are, we are certainly looking, um, especially the, the whole Gravoy corridor, which has tons of commercial uses um, and, and great connectivity to residential neighborhoods on, on both sides to, I think, enhance the, the uh, productivity and enhance the, the re, uh, real estate value through that corridor through street redesign. We got a vote on that poll from Stuart Keating, who's a local brewer, and he tweeted that he cast his vote for, quote, the Thunderdome that is every <laughs> gravoy intersection between I-55 and River De Pere. Only newborns vote for Kings Highway and Arsenal. If you think Grand and Forest Park slash I-40 is bad, it's because you rarely venture into the city, unquote. As much as I thought his, his comment was very funny, at the same time, I've heard from a lot of people who kind of have troubleshooting ways of dealing with problem intersections, like, oh, no, you have to go two blocks out of your way and turn left on. On some level, aren't we making this city unwelcoming for anybody who hasn't been here for a while that you have to know all these tricks of the trade just to navigate some of these five-way intersections? Kia Wilson, is that a problem? I think it's a major problem. And I think, um, you know, to 
speak to Stuart question, Stuart's question. Stuart's a friend of mine. I was hanging out with him last night. St. Louis is the smallest town in the world, by really the way. Um, but insiders like Stuart and I have figured out some ways to deal with that. But I think it speaks to the fact that we are not in our dominant planning approach, and this is not just in St. Louis. It is a national problem. We are not putting the needs of road users at the forefront. We are thinking theoretically about how it makes sense to you know, leverage this pocket of funding that comes from the national, the federal government or this pocket from the state. And we're building from the top down rather than observing where our neighbors struggle in a very humble way, where um, even where we are doing public engagement meetings, they're not always in places that are accessible to people or sudden language that is going to actually elicit that sort of bottom up feedback that makes our cities truly strong. So yes, it's absolutely an issue of welcome. It's an issue of access. It's an issue of equity. But it's also an issue of how are we going to make places that are responsive to the needs of our neighborhoods as they grow and change, which they are doing all the time. Let's go back to the phone lines. We've got a call here from Jim, who lives in Kirkwood. Jim, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hey, great conversation. Um, I got a couple of items. Probably the biggest engineering piece is a, a toss-up between 141 and 44, and um, losing a lane at Big Bend on Highway 64 right after Hampton, or uh, what is it, the Hampton? Hanley dumps a whole bunch of traffic on there. That backs up every single night trying to get downtown, ball game or not, mm-hmm. uh, because you're losing an entire lane there. Why they when they rebuilt that? Why they didn't do that? Put another lane in? I don't know. My other pet peeve is when you're on roads like Manchester or Doherty Ferry, which are programmed for rush hour, and you sit there for minutes, literally minutes, trying to turn left instead of having a flow control light that changes immediately. Uh, when you pull up to the intersection, when you do it but as it would late at night, that's especially a problem on, on uh, Manchester if you're trying to turn left from any of the side streets that have a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the third one is that uh, just north of 44 and 141, the lights that turn there are so short that you don't get enough traffic through. So traffic backs way up on Vance which, or on uh, Forest, which is coming in from Doherty Ferry up to those. And, it, and if people get frustrated just sitting there in traffic because the light's not long enough to get enough of it out to, to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, Scott, do you want to speak to that? I, well, I, uh, the, the caller brings up a really interesting point for me on, on 64, because uh, I live uh, just one house away from the sound wall on 64 between Hampton and Hanley uh, near, near Skinker. And so I think what he brings up is not so much an issue with um, road design uh, as it is with land use. So this region has... Uh, it's sprawled out to a lot of previously undeveloped land to the west, which forces people to spend more time in their cars, uh, drive more miles. A lot of them are going to come uh, back east down 64. And for those of us who live near 64, um, th- there is a tension between do you just widen the highway mm-hmm. and ask for more traffic, or do we preserve the neighborhoods on uh, both sides of 64? Um, and Forest Park, uh, clearly the region's... Uh, uh, crown jewel. So widening 64 there would have required taking land from Forest Park, would have required taking my house. Um, <laughs> we can't have that. <laughs> uh, and uh, and so there are real, um, you can't just always say more lanes are going to solve the problem. 
uh, when you also have, I think, big land use issues uh, throughout the region. Kia, you'd like to speak to that too? Well, and I would add, um, not only will more lanes not solve the problem, more lanes will induce more traffic. We have like decades and decades of studies now that show that when you try to curb traffic congestion by adding a lane, all you do is induce more drivers to come in and fill up those lanes. In about two minutes, you're going to have more cars than you started with. And in the meantime, you've saddled your community with a road that needs to be maintained that is, you know, you're going to need to be able to afford. And guess what? We can't here in St. Louis, generally speaking. And you're also making the city less livable for all other modes of transportation. And when I say modes of transportation, I mean people. So um, for me, I just like to take a moment whenever I can to dispel the myth that widening a lane is going to solve any problems whatsoever, adding a lane. It's actually the root of a lot of our problems in American planning. Jim, I want to thank you so much for your call. I do want to go back to one point Jim made, though, because my greatest aggravation as a St. Louis driver is the timing on our stoplights is all wrong. And we are not asking here, Scott Ogilvy, for extra lanes. We're just saying, can we properly time the lights we already have? Why has the city not done this? Um, to put you on the spot. Yeah, so I am not a traffic engineer, but this is another point where there is a tension between different users. So if you just time signals and, and let everybody drive through unimpeded in one direction, people going the other direction <laughs> are, of course, waiting longer. Uh, so, and they're also, you know, the longer the signal cycle is, the longer you have uh, side streets waiting and the longer pedestrians are often waiting to cross the street. You also need a certain level of technology, so you can't, quote unquote, just time signals unless they're uh, interconnected. So this is a matter of money and uh, right. once and there again. Are, there are many cases we where, it. well, over time we are interconnecting a lot of our signals with, with fiber optic cable. Okay. So we have that capability. It is expensive, um, but we are doing it where necessary. Um, but when you just give a green light to an arterial and let people zoom through all the intersections, um, we always think, you know, it sort of makes us the center of the universe, and we quickly forget that there are adjacent drivers or adjacent pedestrians or adjacent users that need to use the street uh, as well. And so um, just, quote-unquote, timing signals is not uh, is not a silver bullet, I would say. I'm so sad that my solution <laughs> isn't going to solve everything. I apologize. <laughs> we did have one question from Twitter. This is from Ryan, who writes, Hey, Scott, what are the chances of seeing traffic calming with dedicated bus lanes? How practical are dedicated bus lanes in our city specifically? Um, there may be, I think there are a, a few locations where dedicated bus lanes would be warranted, where you have high bus ridership and you have relatively constrained road conditions, so you have uh, delays to those buses. Um, a lot of our corridors with high bus ridership are also pretty wide roads. So we are not, Metro has a very good record of on-time uh, bus service. So delays in bus service for Metro are not, are not typically um, the issue Metro faces. Uh, it's more the distance between things that really uh, slows people down on the, on the bus system in St. Louis. Um, so I think you could make some spot improvements and I would love to see personally more coordination between uh, Metro, Bi-State, and the city of St. Louis to, to do those things. Um, but I don't think you're going to see, uh, unless we do sort of selective BRT projects on uh, city streets, I don't think you'll see extensive use of bus lanes. 
A quick note of levity, we just had a caller who was frustrated that some of us and our listeners are referring to I-64 as I-64 <laughs> instead of Highway 40, and we sound like we didn't grow up here. I will admit, I did not grow up here, and I. I am constantly <laughs> messing this up, so my apologies to St. Louis. Kia, it sounds like you're ready to apologize for that major faux pas as well. I know. it's I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. You got me. <laughs> but I've been here for about eight years, and I should know better. You should know this. Um, on a more positive note, 11th Ward Alderwoman Sarah Wood Martin suggested on Twitter that folks should stop by the Carondelet YMCA next Wednesday, September 4th, from 5 to 7 p.m. to see the plans for improving Carondelet and Grand. We also heard from another older woman, that's Christine Ingracia, who was a guest on the show last week. She writes, I hope someone brings up that we need a citywide traffic study slash calming plan. Um, Kia Wilson or Scott Ogilvie, can either of you speak to, is this something that we're looking to try to do? I know, again, study reveals lack of funds, but. Well, it sounds like Alderman Ingracia just brought it up. So yeah, she got her point in there. It's on you, Christine. (laughs) Make it happen. We've got time for one more question here. I'm going to turn it to Scott Ogilvie. Um, Our peg for this show is obviously the terrible intersections in our communities. But can you give us one example of a spot around town where you're seeing some progress, just so we can end with a smile on our faces here? Oh, well, there's lots of areas of progress. I mean, we have uh, $70 million of of road work planned uh, in Midtown between Union Station and uh, Jefferson, we're, compl- we're we're reconnecting streets. We're going to be eliminating all kinds of legacy highway ramps and uh, bad infrastructure uh, that was re- the result of a neighborhood clearance project in the 1960s. Uh, we're going to be rebuilding Jefferson Avenue headed north from I-64. Um, those are really good projects, um, and they're they're solving a lot of um, bad infrastructure issues. So I'm really excited about those. And I think there's many intersection projects throughout the city that have been uh, welcome. I'll plug Skinker and (laughs) I-64. Excuse me, 40? (laughs) uh, Because I was very involved in that one. Uh, The Shoto Greenway planning endeavor that Great Rivers Greenway is working on, I think will, uh, over time, remake uh, many streets to be better for lots of users. So I think that's a very exciting thing the region's taking on. So I think there's lots of... um, you know, we're not perfect, but I think there's lots of uh, areas where we're improving. Thank you, Wilson. Real quick here. You know, I, I just wanted to throw this into the mix, too, that um, we've been talking about traffic calming today, but all transportation problems are also housing problems, are also retail problems. The reason you're feeling frustrated at any intersection when you're behind the wheel of a car is because you had to get behind the wheel of a car to get where you needed to go. So in addition to focusing our efforts on traffic calming, the next time that you're feeling a little bit mad <laughs> at an intersection, I just want to encourage you also to to think about how can you put that grocery store you're trying to get to on your block? How can you put that school that your kid is trying to get to a few blocks away so they can walk? And just to broaden the conversation a little bit. And I think St. Louis is making a lot of strides in that regard. Kia Wilson of Strong Towns, thank you for joining us today. And Scott Ogilvie, uh, City of St. Louis, thank you for being here as well. My pleasure. Thanks. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.